some of the habits that we as a church believe high output disciples of Jesus have. In other words, these are the four practices that people who are growing in their faith steadily and sometimes rapidly are doing all the time. These are these are habits or practices or disciplines, whatever you want to call them. Uh, we're, we're actually sort of answering the question, what is Crosspoint's plan for growing people in their faith? And we wanted to communicate that in a way that was memorable and simple and clear and ultimately effective. And so we came up with uh, this thing that we're calling the four G's. And the four G's are gather, grow, give, go. And uh, so last week we kicked off the series talking about just how important it is to gather together as the body of Christ for worship and the Word of God. And how significant that is over the course of a life of a disciple of Jesus. And today we're going to move on to the next step in this process and talk about uh, this word grow and what that means to us as a church. Have you ever noticed that spiritual growth is hard? I mean, spiritual growth can be really hard. There are a lot of people who believe in Jesus and they go to church and they might serve and give a little bit or a lot and uh, they want to grow and they're trying to grow, but for whatever reason it seems that they're not growing in their faith. Months and years, even years can go by and there just doesn't seem to be much visible evidence in their life of spiritual growth. They seem kind of stuck. Uh, it seems like the same temptations and the same sins keep creeping up into their lives. No matter what they do um, or how hard they try, uh, they just can't seem to get past those things. They just can't seem to get to the next level. And there may have been a time when they were excited about being in a relationship with God, but that's gone. There's just no fire anymore. There's no passion. There's no joy. They're just sort of going through the motions. On the other hand... There are also disciples who seem to be on fire for God. And they are, they are visibly affectionate for Jesus. It just seems like they're always thinking about Him and always talking about Him. And to them, everything is about Jesus. They, they love Him. They just want to be in His presence. That, that's, what they, that's what they value more than anything else. And it seems like everywhere they go, they're... They're leaving a mark, or they're making waves, or they're taking risks, and they're spreading their excitement about God because they can't keep it to themselves. And so I'd like to ask you this morning, what's the difference between those two kinds of disciples? Why is one disciple one way and the other the other, the other way? Why are some disciples thriving spiritually, while many others seem to be barely surviving spiritually? Why do some disciples have spiritual influence with just about everyone in their life, while others are content to keep their faith to themselves. What is it that makes them different? And I am convinced that high-output disciples of Jesus, who are living the most exciting life with God, have discovered something that separates them from struggling Christians who are just kind of surviving. And what they've discovered is this. They have discovered how to leverage relationships for spiritual growth. And what I mean is that their friendships aren't just random. They have found people who love God and who have this kind of powerful faith and they have invited those people, maybe just one person, into their lives to learn how to become a better disciple of Jesus. I think that's 
maybe the key difference. Because that kind of faith doesn't just happen. That kind of vibrant faith is transferred from one disciple to another in a relationship that's intentional. That's how that kind of faith grows and is developed. It's in relationships. It's always in relationships. Almost 20 years ago now, I found my way back to God, you might say. God, God completely changed my life. I wasn't necessarily asking him to, but he did. His grace changed everything. I was going one way in life, and within a matter of a couple of weeks, I was going a completely different direction in life by the grace of God. And I didn't really know a lot of Christians at, at the time. I didn't have really any Christian friends that I was actively doing relationship with or doing life with. But God brought a, an older guy into my life. I was in my early 20s. He was in his late 20s. He actually was the older brother of a, one of my best friends growing up. We didn't have much in common at all, but he took it upon himself to help me lay a foundation for my faith. He sort of took me on his back and carried me through the first year of my life with Christ. He invited me to his house every week. Every single week I would go to his house. I was a single guy living on my own at the time. And I would go to his house along with uh, two other guys. And his wife would make us delicious meals. And we would sit in his living room and we would read scripture together. We'd memorize scripture together. We had these mini cassette recorders. This is way before MP3 players. And we had these just little like mini or micro cassette recorders. We would record each other saying the verse and then exchange the tapes and listen to each other reciting scripture passages throughout the week. And then we'd come back together and say them together. We would pray together. We would, we would talk about faith together, our struggles, and we would confess our sins to one another and pray for each other. And that went on for about a year. And it had an incredible, lasting influence on my faith. It's still, still today... I cherish that time that I had with, with him and these other brothers. And he, we still have a relationship. We still have a friendship ongoing today. Uh, his name was Aaron. And Aaron made me want to have a relationship with God like he had. He knew the Bible better than anyone else I've ever known. He just the, the Scripture was always coming into his mind. He was able to intersect God's Word with life at any point. And I, and I wanted to know the Bible like he did. He Just being around him made me want to read my Bible more. A couple years later, I met a guy named Dave, Dave, Dave Patrick, actually, and he came up to me one day and asked me if I would be his accountability partner, and I didn't even know exactly what he meant or what that would look like. I didn't know Dave very well. I knew I needed accountability in my life, and I felt bad saying no, probably not the best, I mean, I don't know, so I said yes, and we started a friendship, and we began meeting every week and doing some of the same things, and we weren't hanging out, talking about sports or girls or all these other things that we weren't good at. We, we were together for a reason, and that reason was to encourage each other in our faith. We knew that. We didn't have a lot in common, but we both wanted to grow in our faith. The relationship had a specific purpose. It was structured and intentional. And God used those about three years that we did that, and we still... We still, like 12 years later, do this. And that relationship has changed my life. 
Dave helped me understand how valuable it is to have a friend who's willing to ask you hard questions. He became a friend who, who was humble and ready to be with me even in the darkest, I mean, even if it meant being in a pit of despair with me. He, he would go there, and he would today. I, I, a couple years later, I, I met Phil Bowen, and, and a couple years later after that, I mean, I went through one of the hardest times in my life, and, and Phil came into my life. And he began intentionally spending time with me, talking about how I could repair my marriage, repair my relationship with God, reminding me what it is to be a child of God. Phil showed me just how deep and wide the gospel goes. And those times that we shared together over those couple of years were invaluable to my faith and things that I still am growing on. The point of me telling you about those relationships is that whenever you hear someone's faith story, you will hear them talk about key relationships. Because God always uses other people to take your faith to the next level, and it's usually people you would not expect. Look with me again at the text we dove into last week. We're going to look at the same text this morning, found in the book of Hebrews chapter 10. If you don't have your, your Bible, it will be on the screen behind me. Hebrews is going to be towards the end of your New Testament, right before the book of James. And in chapter 10, beginning in verse 19, this is what we read. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. And what I'd like to point out this morning, what, what we're going to kind of pull out from this text this morning, is this reality. Relationships are a huge part of following Jesus. Relationships are a huge part of following Jesus. Last week, we looked at this passage as a whole. And what we discovered is that because of Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection, we now have access to God through faith. We can draw near to God. We can be in his presence. That's something we never could do before. That is the privilege. It's, it's something we possess now. Access to the Father. We can relate to him as a father. Because of the blood of Jesus shed for us, our atoning sacrifice. And we also have access to one another. And kind of, the kind of access that we never had before. We have access to each other's lives. We get a front row seat to watch God work in other people's lives to produce change, to make them like Jesus. And you won't experience what Hebrews 10 is talking about apart from relationships with people who you meet with often. Listen to some of what the New Testament says 
we get to do because of what Jesus has done. In other words, it's a privilege for us to be able to live this way. I'm going to go through these sort of rapid-fire uh, styles. So just, um, just take these words in. 1 John chapter 4, verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. Romans 15, 7. Accept one another as Christ has accepted you for the glory of God. 1 Peter 4.10 As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Ephesians 5.21 Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another. That's for really mature Christians. Submit to one another. 1 Thessalonians 5.15 Always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Ephesians 4.32 Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, Forgiving one another. Hebrews 3.13 Exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Colossians 3.16 Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Ephesians 5.19 Address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart. Romans 15.5 May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in harmony with one another in accordance with Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 13.11 Comfort one another. Romans 15.14 You yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. Romans 12.10 Outdo Outdo one another in showing honor. Colossians 3.13 Bear with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. Colossians 3.13 Forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. James 5.16 Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. 1 Peter 4.9 Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. I don't think you can do all those things if you are not intentionally building relationships with other disciples, making yourself available to them, inviting them into your home, and sharing your life with them. Going to the same church and attending services together is a good starting point, but that will not be enough to experience the things we just read about. It won't be. In 1 Thessalonians 2.8, I'd like you to think about this, this verse for, for a minute. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the churches in Thessalonica. He says, So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. Here's Paul, the Apostle Paul, one of the most powerful, gifted, and legendary disciples of all time, right? And he is saying he was not interested in simply preaching to people. He was not interested in growing attendance at church gatherings. He was not interested in simply passing along information about God to people or making sure they knew their Bibles well. That was not his main goal. Paul was a relational leader. He was relational. The people in the churches he planted were dear to him. 
He loved them. He knew them. He spent tons of time with them. He was interested in their lives. He poured himself into them. He made himself available to them. To Paul, following Jesus meant building communities of faith where people were devoted to one another in loving Christ-centered relationships. So let me summarize it this way. Simply attending Sunday services at a church where nobody really knows you or has access to your private life is nothing like New Testament discipleship. And that brings us to the next point. Christ-centered relationships, relationships that are built on faith in Jesus, will throw sparks. They will throw sparks. And the writer of Hebrews says it this way, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. And that phrase, stir up, in the original language, really meant something like to irritate or confront or disagree with. There's an author that I like who who gave the analogy of a bag full of rocks. And that's kind of what the church is like. We're like the rocks. And you shake those rocks up, and they begin to throw sparks. They rub against each other. There's friction at times. They rub off each other's rough edges and things like that. That's a really good analogy of what this is talking about, of how we should relate to one another. And what, encourage, what, what it means to stir each other up is basically to watch out for each other and protect one another from sin. That's really what it means. Way back in the book of Psalms, uh, chapter 141, verse 5, the writer said, Let a righteous man strike me. It is a kindness. Let him rebuke me. It is oil for my head. Let, my, let not my head refuse it. Oil over the head was an ancient practice, and it was something that it was a symbol of honor shown to welcome guests into your home. When someone rebukes you in love, they are honoring you. That's the point. If someone's willing to confront you in your sin or to, to show concern for you, right, that's a, that's a way of them showing honor to you. It's a, it's a gift, really, is the way we're supposed to look at it. They're protecting you. They're loving you. They're giving you a gift. They're paying attention to you. And we need other people to pay attention to us, not to soothe us or to flatter us or to tell us what we want to hear. That's not, that's not what this is at all. We need people to tell us the truth, don't we? In the book of Proverbs, we read this. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Whoever rebukes a man will afterward find more favor than he who flatters with his tongue. Did you, did you catch that? He said... Whoever rebukes a man will afterward find favor. Afterward. So, I guess confronting people in their sin will not always go well at first. <laughs> Isn't that true? You may, look, you may look at it as a gift, like you're trying to help them. Some people won't see it that way. They might not accept it right away. They might not accept it ever. And that's okay. You might object. You might think, their mess is none of my business. I mean, who am I? to confront someone else and, and to point out something in their life that's out of order. Who am I? My life is full of sin. I mean, what right do I have to talk to them about this? Isn't that hypocrisy? I'm not supposed to judge other people, right? And that, but that's not what this is. That's not what this is. In fact, that might sound like humility, but it sounds to me more like fear. I mean, it is a little intimidating for many people. 
to tell you the truth about your life, to actually express concern for you spiritually. Some of us get afraid. We don't know how to do it. And that's okay. But the Bible says that Christians confronting each other in love is a privilege. It's not something we should make a, our personal mission, okay? Let me, get, let me make that clear. This is not like your spiritual gift is to point out everybody's sin, all right? We should be encouraging each other more than we are rebuking each other. That's the bell. Encouragement is a spiritual gift, not rebuke. But rebuke is necessary, it is absolutely necessary for us to do, and everyone is called to do it. I need people to say to me, Dave, your kid did something that's troubling to us. What are you going to do about that? Or what are you doing about that? Or maybe you should do something about that. Dave, you said something in your sermon last week about how we need to live a certain way. I, I don't see this in your life. Or Dave, I've noticed an unhealthy pattern in your life, what can I do to help you with this? Or, or Dave, you seem a little on edge lately. Is everything okay? Those are all things people have said to me. And I have respect for the people who said it. In fact, I trust them more because they were willing to risk my feelings towards them in order to see my faith grow. And the truth is, sin is deceiving. It's just deceiving by its very nature. You can deceive yourself. And so you and I need people to watch us carefully and to protect us and to warn us if necessary because sin is dangerous. It's a threat to us. And so we need each other. We need each other to do this. Now the second relational privilege we see in Hebrews 10 is about encouragement. Christ-centered relationships will build up. They will encourage. In verse 25 he says, not neglecting to meet each other, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. As you see the day drawing near. Author Wayne Jacobson wrote this about encouragement. He said, we encourage others by saying or doing things that make God more visible to them. I think that's a great definition of encouragement. Sending a thank you card, calling to see how a friend is doing, getting someone a gift... Out of the blue, just because you care about them? Those are some simple ways that we can encourage people and make God more visible to them. <clears throat> but think about this. Funerals are a unique gathering where people come together to celebrate the life of someone who, who is now dead. That's what a funeral basically is, right? And I've been to some really uplifting funerals where I was just fired up in my faith afterwards, where I learned things about this person I never knew before. And people were getting up and saying amazing things, honoring this person. But you know what's unfortunate about all that is that they can't hear it. I mean, the, they, the funeral is... I mean, they're not even, probably even thinking about their funeral. They're busy. Wherever they are... I don't even think they care because hopefully they are in the presence of Christ, overwhelmed by his glory. And my point is that why not tell those people about those things now? I mean, if you appreciate someone in your life, if, if, if God has used a brother or sister in your life or anybody 
to encourage you in your faith, to, to spur you on, to build you up, to, to help you be more faithful to Jesus Christ. Why not tell them that? Why not celebrate that now while they're alive? That's called encouragement. Why not write them a letter? I've done that before. I mean, taking the time to sit down and articulate carefully just how much someone means to you, just how specifically God has used that person in their life or their words or their personality or whatever, their strengths, to help you be more faithful to Jesus. That's not just rewarding to them, it's rewarding for you. It's just a great way to spend your time. And it's a gift all the way around. The kind of relationships that will change your life are hard work. They're really hard work. They take time. They take patience. They are the result of people being intentional with each other. It takes sacrifice and availability and presence. It takes love and encouragement. And the bottom line is, the church can't create those relationships for you. We just can't. But here's what we can do. We can create opportunities or environments where the potential for life-changing relationships is real. And at Crosspoint and at many other churches, we call those environments small groups. That's what we call them. Because that's basically what they are. Small groups of disciples who get together to help each other be more faithful to Jesus. That's, that's what small groups are. In 2003... My wife and I joined our first small group. At the time, we didn't need more friends. We had a lot of friends. We didn't need to add on more to our already busy schedule. We weren't looking for special help in our marriage at the time. We didn't need extra special help raising our kids or anything. But we did know that we weren't praying with other couples regularly. We weren't submitting ourselves to other couples. We weren't asking people for accountability. We weren't being honest about our own needs. We knew all of that. We weren't really sharing our lives with people the way the New Testament talks about. And so we joined a small group, and it was made up of people, obviously, and a, actually a basset hound. And most of the people in our group, or some of the people in our group were in our sort of season of life, young married couples, you know, with a, a one or two kids, and, and others weren't. Others were past that season, and others were coming up on that season. And within a couple years, we celebrated the birth of a child. We huddled together to pray for another couple who lost a child. Another couple uh, confided in us, and we held them and prayed for them as they struggled with the pain of infertility. One man lost his job. Another couple nearly lost their marriage. And we experienced all that together as a group. And we had tons of of fun and good times together too. We spent lots of time together. We ate together. We went camping together. We talked a lot. And after that experience, my wife and I made a decision that no matter what was going on in our lives, we were going to be in a group. We were going to be in a group like that. Because we needed it. And we have been in a small group for the last 13 years. Four different small groups, actually. And so, the reason I tell you that is because the best friendships are usually unstructured and unpredictable and and random. I get that. Okay? But we have found that even the most natural and meaningful friendships cannot replace the spiritual growth that happens 
when you add a layer of structure and intentionality to a small group of disciples who meet together often for a purpose. Okay? You know, we hear the word organic a lot in our culture today. And how, how you know, organic is a real positive thing. And, and I'm not saying it's not, okay? It's, it's positive when it comes to food and health. And it, it's positive when it comes to relationships. I can't deny that. But I honestly think the word organic is overused and overrated <laughs> when it comes to relationships. I'm just telling you, because organically, I'm a sinner. And so are you. All right? That's, uh, that's who we are. It's in our nature. And we're also saints who are redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. We're, we're, we have these two natures warring against each other. And if all of my, late, my, my relationships were strictly organic, I would not be growing in my faith the way that I am. Okay? And what I'm saying is, you can't just wait for this to happen. You can't just say, God, uh, will you please bring these people into my life and grow my faith? And then just wait for it to happen. It doesn't work that way. Christ-centered relationships that spark new spiritual growth are probably not going to be organic. <laughs> They're going to be intentional and a little bit structured. I mean, there is something powerful when you just identify someone whose faith you admire and you say, will you come into my life and help me become a better disciple? And I don't know exactly how it's going to look or how long it's going to take. I just know that I need help in my, my faith journey. Will you help me? And then you decide, yeah, let's get together. Let's start getting together once a week. And let's just pray together. Or let's just read the Bible together. Let's just, yeah, let's do it. I mean, coming into a slightly more predictable environment with people who you know have your back, with people you know are for you, with people who have real needs and aren't afraid to admit it, and people who want a deeper relationship with God. I mean, there's nothing quite like that. And after 13 years of my wife and I being in groups, I'll be honest with you, our family is busier than ever. Four of our five kids are in sports. I'm coaching two basketball teams right now. We volunteer in more places, doing more things, giving up more time than we ever had at any other time in our life. We're both working more than we were then. Our kids demand more of our attention than ever before. But being in a small group is a non-negotiable to us. And it's not that we have to be in one. It's that we get to be. Yeah, we consider it a privilege. So what is the point of small groups? Is it to make great friends? Is it to enjoy good food together? Is it to help get one another through difficult seasons of life? All of, that, all of those things will happen. But no, that's not really the point. Because you can have all of that without God. You can have all those things without God. The point of small groups is to help one another... Get ready for the return of Jesus, according to the text. In Hebrews 10.25, it says, Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more, as you see the day drawing near. What's the day? The day is the day of Jesus. This is the day of all days. This is the day when God's glory becomes undeniable to the entire universe, as Jesus Christ, our King, brings heaven to earth. And that day is coming. It's coming soon. And I want to be ready, don't you? I want to be ready, and I need other people to help me, to help me get ready, to help me be more faithful to Jesus. And how can we do that? 
by getting together often, by stirring each other up to love and good works, by praying for each other, by encouraging one another. So I'd like to close just by asking you a question today. Do you have a mentor or a group that is investing spiritually into your life? Do you have that? Is someone coming alongside you and investing intentionally into your life to see you become a more, a more faithful disciple? Could you call them at two in the morning? Do you have a Christian brother or sister who you could call and ask to meet you at two in the morning with a shovel and a plastic bag? <laughs> I'm totally kidding about that last part. I hope you never need those things at two in the morning. What we need is community. We need someone. We need a group of people who we can call in the middle of the night and say, I need, I, I need to talk to you. I need you to pray for me right now. I need to meet with you. And they are ready. They'll, they'll get up and do it because they're with you. They're like you. They've committed themselves to you for the purpose of you and them becoming more faithful to Jesus. And we all need environments where we feel safe to be ourselves and free to speak the truth and ready to receive the truth so that we can be a vibrant church that's continually growing up together and moving out to people in the grace and power of Jesus Christ. That's what this is about. It's totally about our mission as a church. It's not just about me you know, making lasting, meaningful friendships. This is about me being a disciple who makes disciples. This is about you becoming a disciple who makes disciples. And so I'd like to challenge you this morning. I know that many, probably most of the people in our church are, are part of a small group or you have been part of a small group, and some of you aren't. And I would just like to challenge you to, to find that person or, or, or find a Bible study that's going on, or find a small group, or find a breakfast group, or find a prayer group. Find a group of people who's willing to be that for you. Because you, I don't know how you can replace that in any other way. This is one of the things that you need, and that I need, to become more faithful to Jesus. And I don't know where I'd be without it, if I'm being totally honest. So I'd like to challenge you this morning. If you would like to, to learn more about our groups that we have going on, I think we have eight groups right now that meet, um, and that doesn't even include Bible studies and things like that that are going on, but you can talk to myself, you can talk to, to Pastor Scott. We would love to, to talk with you about how you can, can join a group or how you can at least plan to join a group in the near future. We'd love to be a part of that with you. Let me pray for us. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word which gathers us together on Sunday mornings. It is because of your word that we're here to listen to you and to obey you, to do your will, and to be free in our relationship with Jesus Christ. We thank you for the gospel and grace of Jesus which gives us peace with you. Knowing God that no matter what kind of week we had, whether it was a good week or a bad week, spiritually or any other way, God, that you see us the same. You love us. You like us. You will never leave us or forsake us. And you want to be with us. And I pray that you would stir our hearts this morning. And that we would be just as excited about being with you as you are about being with us. We pray these things in Christ's name.
Amen.